morning. Thank you. You and I would be great friends. I don't know who it was over here, but now I know. His wife's grinning and smiling, shaking her head. We would be great friends. I, I am known as the loud one and uh, at our church, one of the, the loudest, uh, most energetic elders for sure. So um, it's just a joy to get to be here this morning. My name is Patrick Walsh. I am the family and missions pastor at Crossroads Baptist Church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And it has been an absolute joy to get to minister with uh, basically representatives of seven families here this weekend. Uh, three larger families, three families with four kids or more. Uh, the rest, people who are just from the church who are um, maybe about to be married, maybe single moms, maybe empty nesters who have been helping out with our families and just worshiping together. It's been awesome to just get to come beside each other, dive in the word, sing together, fellowship together, ask questions together, discuss how the Lord is leading our homes together, and then to get to serve. Uh, we pray that you have been blessed by this weekend as we have. We, as Cole already mentioned, we got to um, do some work up in the, uh, the youth wing and do some paint. Uh, some, what, what were we doing? We were doing some scraping on the um, wallpaper. That's what that's called. Um, we were laughing. I said, I don't know who thought of wallpaper, but someday when we're in heaven, if he's there, I'm going to let him know it's the worst idea in the world. I don't get it. I just, I just don't get it. Um, but we had a great time. We, we enjoyed working together and serving. Thank you so much for allowing us to come. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. I am 39 years old, even though I don't like to admit it. Uh, I am 39. I will be 40 soon. And um, I'm married to a, a beautiful wife. Her name is Chelsea. We've been married for 17 years. We were high school sweethearts. We've been together for about 24 years, and uh, we have four amazing kids. Cody is going to be 18 in just a couple, uh, just a few weeks. Laura Kate will be 14 uh, a couple weeks past that. Eliana is 12, and our wonderful surprise, Avonlea, is five years old, and she's in the back terrorizing your nursery right now. Um, we, uh, <clears throat> we grew up together, uh, Chelsea and I, we grew up learning to love the Lord and learning the gospel together, seeing the Lord change our lives together, and never imagined that the Lord would bring us to a place such as this, to a place of incredible blessing, incredible leading, not because of the material things that we have or the, the worldly happiness that is in our life, but instead because of the way he's blessed us with his presence, the way he's blessed us with his word, the way he's blessed us with his church. I went to college to be a music teacher. I went to college to be a band director. In fact, for, uh, what was it, about seven years, I was a music teacher and a band director. But while I was in college, I was called into the youth ministry, and that kind of stuck. And over time, um, I became a full-time pastor. The Lord called us uh, to help plant Crossroads Baptist Church 10 years ago. When we did, we were a really small congregation. And we knew one thing. We knew we wanted a thriving church, a church that loved the Lord, a church that made a difference in the community. We knew that we wanted what you wanted. We wanted the Lord to change us and to move among us. And as we were praying through that, uh, one of the other elders, Brother Rob, our, our lead teaching pastor, and I were talking. We said, one of the other things we know is we don't want a normal, uh, whatever normal is, youth ministry. A youth ministry where the kids go one direction and have a ton of fun, play really loud music, do things they really like to do, and talk about Jesus. And the adults go do the adult thing. We knew we didn't want that for a lot of reasons. One, we kind of graduated from that, and we saw how as people graduated from that, they never found a church because that wasn't really church. 
But for so many reasons, we knew we didn't want that, that kind of youth ministry at our church. And, and so we said, what kind of youth ministry do we want? What kind of ministry do we want? And we, we started reading and praying and diving into the word. And we knew what we want was a focused family ministry, a family ministry where we understood what the word was saying, that the parents are the primary disciple makers, not the youth minister, not the youth pastor, not the Sunday school teachers. The parents are the primary disciple makers. Immediately, there's all sorts of questions. There's questions about, well, wait a minute, what if parents don't know how to be disciple makers? And what about kids whose parents aren't Christians? And and, and what does that look like? Does that mean that the youth group is going to go away? That wasn't it at all. But here's the truth of the matter. There was no black and white answer to what family ministry was supposed to look like, especially what it was supposed to look like at Crossroads. So, so we started in on the experiment. Brother Rob and I and the other elders started in saying, okay, how are we going to raise up the next generation? And Frankly, that's going to look different for us than it's going to look that it's going to look for you than it's going to look for other churches. But there are some common things. There are some common, absolutely needed things in church family ministry that we're going to dive into this morning. This morning we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter six. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapter six, and we'll the the chunk of scripture, the chunk of our text that we're going to be studying is verse four through nine. That's uh, the sermon title today is God's plan for families, for our families. God's plan for our families. We've prayed this morning, but I always love taking a moment before we dive into the word to ask the Lord one more time, God speak. So if you would, please pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your son. Lord, we are humbled that you would think so much of us that you would know us, that you would die in our place, and that you would task us to raise up the next generation. Lord, thank you so much for all that you are. Lord, I pray that you would help me get out of the way. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us, whether we are used to hearing this lesson preached, or we have never heard it preached before, Lord, I pray you would stir our hearts, that we would answer your command, that we would answer your call, and we'd be, that we would bring glory and honor to you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, starting in verse 4, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You, you, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God bless the reading of his word. In my Bible, at the very top of my Bible, 
the, the uh, commentators gave a title to this chapter. And in my Bible, the title of this chapter is The Greatest Commandment. Now, they're not cool and really smart and awesome and coming up with them, that on their, their own. They entitled this The Greatest Commandment because that's what Christ calls this. We're going to get to this later, but in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rulers come up to Jesus hoping to trap him hoping, him, hoping to ask him a question that he shouldn't be able to answer. And they say, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he goes right to the Shema. This is the Shema. This is the saying. This is the purpose statement. If you're in business or if you know anybody who's in business or maybe uh, you, you've seen even some churches, man, when you walk in the front door, blazing all over the doorpost is what? The vision, the purpose statement, where we're going, what we're about, what we're doing. Everybody knows it. In a really good company, man, if you go to Amazon, if you were around when Mike Jobs was running Mac, if you go to a great company, there's no question among employees, what is the vision statement? What's our purpose? Man, they can say it. They know it because that's what the company's all about. That's how they become successful. Well, back in Hebrew times, the Jews knew this thing to be true. They knew they needed a purpose. They knew they needed a vision statement. And this was it, the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. They didn't just say this once or twice a day. They said this all the time. You guys have seen Orthodox Jews with their, their frontlets, right? With the, with the hair that comes down and, and like rolls in front of their face. <clears throat> You've seen, the, the, you know, a lot of times you see Orthodox Jews. Uh, when, when I think of Orthodox Jews, I think of New York. That's where I've seen uh, pictures or videos or movies of them most walking around in their, <clears throat> in their full robes and garbs with their yarmulkes. And they have frontlets. They have these, these rings of hair that come down from their face. They literally tied their purpose statement on their frontlets. They literally wrote them on their hands. They literally had their kids recite it all the time. They got it. This was the purpose statement. And here's what's cool. When the Pharisees try to trap Jesus, what do they do? What does he do? He goes right to the purpose statement. And he quotes from the purpose statement. We'll get to there. This is a big deal. It's an important deal. And we need to know it. Church, we need to get it. We need to know our purpose. We need to understand exactly what we said at the title of this sermon. We need to know what God's plan for our families is. It's right here in Deuteronomy, starting in verse 4. So let's break it down. In verse 4, the first thing we see is we see, Hear, O Israel. Stop. Hear, Oh, Israel, what is that? Listen up! Let me get your attention! I told you I'm the loud one, I'm sorry. I see your faces and you're like, your hair's like plastered back. <laughs> At Crossroads, people know. Like, uh, Lindsay was even joking with me. She said, Patrick, Brother Rob preaches, it's awesome. When you preach, I go home and I'm like, wow, I gotta go do something. And then she has a friend that said, yeah, I go home and I gotta take a nap. He's just so intense, right? So just buckle up, okay? Um, but here, it's the truth. If you look at your word, hear, O Israel, it's a declaration. Listen up and understand the promises of the Old Testament are meant for us. The truth of the Old Testament is our truth. When he says that, he's saying, listen up, church. 
Israel was the church. It was God's people. So we've got to pay attention. We've got to listen up. Hear, O Israel. And then what? He says this. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He catches their attention. And what does he do? He gives them theology. Parents, grandparents, teachers, aunts, uncles, singles. If we're believers, if Christ has changed our life, we need to listen up. And we need to have good theology. We need to know good theology. We need to know our word. We need to know who God is. The first thing out of Moses' mouth when he gave this to the people, listen up, let me tell you who God is. And at that point, the breadth of who God was teaching himself to be was, I'm one. I am God. Now, here's the truth in that. We get even more of that. God reveals himself throughout the Old Testament, and man, did he reveal himself in Jesus. Amen? And we know who Jesus is. So for us, the church is, listen up. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the God who is one and what he's done for us and who he is? Because he's awesome. Do we have good theology? Do we know our word? Do we know the gospel? So point number one is this. Remember the truth of who God is. When Moses starts out here, listen up. Remember the truth of who God is. Remember the gospel. Remember the word. Know God. And then he moves forward. He gets in. To the second point, if you know God, we should love God. Point number two, we should love God most in our lives. We should love God most in our lives. Hear what he says. Back to the very beginning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might, with everything in you, everything. Is that how we love God? When we really think through heart and soul and mind, what, what the, the writer here is doing, what, what Moses is doing, what God is showing us is literally he's saying every fiber of our being. We're going to talk about the fact that when he says heart, he's not talking about our emotions. Specifically, he's actually talking about our, our, our intellect, our thought process, what we understand. <clears throat> but here's what happens is when he says heart, soul, and mind, he goes through the whole gamut. Every bit of us has to absolutely love the Lord. Do we? Do we? What is our testimony? Why should we love the Lord? Just briefly, I'll tell you what my testimony is. I grew up in a household that was Lutheran Catholic that um, really focused on morality. You've got to be good to go to heaven. Let's be good. If you're good, you go to heaven. I even remember a sermon uh, from the pulpit at one point. It was a sizzling summer sermon. And... Uh, <clears throat> pastor got up and he put his hand on the Bible. He said, I know you're ready to get to the lake. Thank you for being here. We're going to make this quick. Put his hand on the Bible. said, if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. Summarized. Everybody laughed and chuckled and he got down. I was raised with be good, go to heaven morality. This is what God wants. And that is not the truth of the gospel. Frankly, that's heresy. 
We can't be good enough to go to heaven. We can't do good enough things to go to heaven. That's why Christ had to die. And so what is my testimony? I tried to be good, realized I couldn't. That's all of our testimony. We, are no, we know we are sinners. How do we know that? Romans 5 tells us. We all fall short, right? But what? God, while we were still sinners, did what? Sent Christ to die in our place. I remember when I was sitting in the pew, my mom had remarried my stepfather, and we were in this little bitty Baptist church, and they were having a revival. I remember sitting there and getting it. I remember thinking, I remember sitting in the pew before and thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry, God. I need to say more Hail Marys. I can't say enough Hail Marys. What am I going to do? And then sitting in the pew and thinking, oh, there's the answer. Oh, my gosh, I really am. I'm so bad. I, I, I need Jesus. I'm coming forward broken. Knowing my Savior, loving my Savior, wanting my Savior, wanting to know more of who my Savior is. I, I remember that. That's my testimony. And then I can tell you so much more. At that point, I was 12 years old. I can tell you so much more about not really understanding how to walk with the Lord and how the Lord then convicted me later when I was a sophomore in high school. And then what everything else looked at like, like through the rest of my life and how... The Lord has reared me and, and led me. I have a testimony of how God has moved in my life. Do you? And here's the next question. Do you know where the Lord, how the Lord, that the Lord saved you? Are you certain of your salvation? And when you think about it, when you reflect on who Christ is in your life, does it bring you to a love that's incomparable to anything else in your life? Do you love God most? When your kids talk about what you love, what's the first things out of their mouth? When your grandkids, when your nieces and your nephews, my son will say, Daddy loves Steelers football, right? I know some of you guys are growling. Some of you guys are like, yeah, right? My, my, my daughter might say, Daddy loves band. Some of our, our kids would say, loves their car, loves their fill in the blank. In that list, when they really think about it, at the very top, is it God? And is it God because they see your Bible app? Is it God because they see you making sacrifices? Is it God because they see you tithing? Because they see you giving up your time at the church. Is it God because they hear you talk about him all the time? Is it God because that's who governs your life and decides where you go on vacation, how you spend your money, what you do with your time, what you watch on TV? When, they, when your kids, when our next generation looks at us and they talk about what we love, will they say, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, so-and-so? loves God most. Can we see that in our lives? The first point, again, remember the truth of God is, of who God is. The second point, we should love God most in our lives. The third point, teach the word of God and your love of God to the next generation. So we heard two things. 
You should know who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You should love God. And then what does he say? And these words that I command you shall teach, shall be on your heart, and you're going to teach them. So check this out. Point number three. Teach the word of God, the gospel, and your love of God to the next generation. Verse six. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. What's the idea that we get here? What does it look like to raise the next generation? This is where Rob and I realize we have a problem. Does it look like what so much of cultural church looks like? When it says, teach them diligently, that word diligently is the first thing in your mind that, oh, right, we need to teach kids about God on Sunday morning and Sunday school and during the sermon and on Wednesday night. Check. Is that the first thing in our minds? Does that feel like diligently if that's it? Doesn't to me. I think that's good and well and awesome. And that needs to be there. But how does it need to be there? And why does it need to be there? Sunday morning teaching by Sunday school teachers. Wednesday night news leadership. That needs to be there. But how and why? Is that what was intended by diligently? I would say no. Why? Because we get a list of what diligently looks like. He gives us a very, very clear list of what diligently looks like. He says what? Talk to them. Discussions. Are our parents, are our, our homes, are our aunts and uncles, are our grandparents having discussions about faith with our kids diligently. Kind of got ahead of myself. What is diligently? What's the word diligently? When you, when you think the word diligently, what are some things that you're thinking in your mind? Here's what I'm thinking. Carefully, methodically, purposefully, with frequency. Carefully, methodically, purposefully, with frequency, are we doing that with the next generation? Is that what our homes look like? When our kids have friends over to our, their house, do they see that our houses are different, that grandma and grandpa are different, that aunts and uncles are different because of the conversations that are going on, because the conversations reflect the word, reflect, reflect the truth of the gospel, reflect our, our, our relationship with the Lord. Then he goes on further. It's not just conversations. It's when we sit, when we're resting, when we're walking, when we're working, when we're mowing the lawn, when we're traveling, when we're going on vacation, when we're going about our day, before bed, when we lie, when we rise in the morning. I think a lot of us nail that. It, became, it, it has become a very good cultural thing to pray with our kids, right, at night before we go to bed. To talk with them at that point, that's awesome. Maybe before breakfast, before dinner, that's great. But I'll tell you what, when we 
first jumped into this, we were broken and we were convicted. And we realized that too much of cultural church is the way I'm going to diligently raise my kid is I'm going to drop them off to the experts on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And then if the kid, if the, the, the student, if the child brings something up, well, then we'll talk about it. Church, that's not what was intended here. That's not what family ministry is. And he goes on, and he, he says even further, he says this, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. What is, that, what is he doing here? You should put them as frontlets in your eyes. You should write it on your doorpost and on your gates. What's he? He's setting up processes. He's setting up procedures in our homes. In our homes, we have processes and procedures. We have a certain way that we, in, in my house, if we don't set out our clothes before bed, we're going to have a bad morning. Is anybody else like that? I've got three girls, okay? I mean, it, it's real. I mean, Cody, he jumps up, he gets his stuff on, he's out the door, 10 minutes tops. Um, you know, we have to remind him to take a shower. I mean, here we go, right? My girls, on the other hand, you give them two hours in the morning, if everything isn't set out the day before, we're still going to be late, right? My daughter's eyeballing me like, Dad, really? Come on. We have processes and procedures to make our life smooth. Do we have in our homes set up processes and procedures to be in the word to know the word more to worship together i know some families when they they sit at the table and they eat that's a big deal for them it's that big deal in my family too before they put the the, the plates in the um dishwasher they bring the bible out i think that's great some families, they have specific times where they go. Other families, I, the thing that I love to use is windshield time. They can't go anywhere. You know you can't go to the bathroom. Where are you going to go to the bathroom? you got 30 minutes before we get there. Windshield time, baby. I love it. Yeah, we're going to talk. My, my, my kids laugh all the time. Uh-oh, here comes a sermon. Here comes another sermon. They, they, they bust me on it all the time. I love windshield time. I love those walk-by-the-way moments. Do we have process and procedures? Are we thinking through when we get in the car to leave? Okay. We've been dealing with this. I wonder what, how they're doing. Do we, are our kids used to us saying, so what's going on in life? Where are you at with the Lord? Are our kids used to seeing our Bible? Do you already plan on being out in the living room at a specific time, maybe in the morning, in the evening, with your Bible to do your devotional so they see you do it? Not the main purpose of you doing it. The main purpose is we love the Lord. But let them see you do it. We need those processes and procedures. And I'm sitting here and I'm going through all this. And if it's something that you've heard often and it's something that you've implemented in your family and your family, there's no question. The person that your kids have heard the most about the gospel, the person that has been in the word with your kids the most is their parents. And then beside them is their grandparents and their cousins and their aunts and their uncles. And then beside them is the church. If that's the case in your family, praise God. Keep it up. Keep rocking it. I'm going to give you a warning. It doesn't fix it all. <laughs> it, it, doesn't make, it doesn't guarantee your kids are going to be saved. It doesn't guarantee they're going to be good. It doesn't guarantee that you're not going to be at Kohl's last Thursday night arguing about the fact that those shorts are too short. We're not buying them. But I'll tell you what it does do. It guarantees you're going to follow God's command. And when we follow God's command, there are promises and there are blessings. So if you're doing it, keep it up. 
and understand the church is here to come beside you. That's been the amazing exercise that we've gotten to do this weekend. We've gotten to come beside each other. One of the big things that we did is we came beside each other, and we said, okay, what's family worship look like in your home? And let the kids talk. And you could just kind of see light bulbs going, oh, we're not so weird. We're not so different. They're doing the same thing over there. They're doing the same thing over here. And then when the parents came together, it was, you wouldn't believe what I'm struggling with. And, man, I have been this consistent. I'm doing this over here. I'm having this over here. I mean, it was, it's beautiful when the church comes together. When the youth pastor gives you a call and says, hey, look, this is what we've been studying lately. Have you have they been talking about it? Is there anything I can do for you? I love getting the calls from parents. Look, so-and-so says they want to give their life to the Lord. What's, what's that look like? How do I know it's a legitimate decision? What do I do? What do I say? Well, let me help you. I love setting up the, the times where we say, okay, families, let's get together. We're going to talk more about family worship. And I get a call from um, our, our oldest member uh, who's 98 years old. And uh, he says, and he's got, I said 98, he was shooting me. Um, Brother Bob, and he says, how can I help, Patrick? I really want to be there. You know, my kids have been out of the house forever. What can I do? And I said, we need you there. We need your wisdom. We need your encouragement. And we need you to hear from us so that you know how better to minister to your kids and grandkids and for him, great grandkids. So when we say family ministry, let's come together, let's worship together, let's, let's figure these things out together, let's have these discussions together. Church, let's do it. Let's make it rock. So if you're doing it, great. Keep it up. If you're not, and to some extent that's all of us, what do we do? We do what we always do. We do what the Lord's instructed us to do. First, we repent. Man, when I first started thinking through family ministry, thinking through what I was doing and what I wasn't doing, my, my daughters were, were young, I had to go to my wife and say, I'm sorry. I'm so worried about raising our kids, and let me just be real, I don't love God most right now. I'm not leading us well in the word because I'm not in the I don't know enough to share with my kids because I don't know enough to fill my own heart. I can't minister to all my family if my cup isn't, isn't overflowing. If I'm not in the Word daily, how can I get my family in the Word daily? If I don't have good theology, how can I give good theology to my family? When this first started, I realized, whoa, I need to repent. We got on our knees together, and we repented, and, we're, and it's a continual process. We are not great. We're not perfect at family ministry at Crossroads in my house, in any of our homes. If you're a grandparent, man, I, one of the greatest blessings my mom gave me was coming up to me and apologizing, saying, I should have done that different, and then saying, so blessed by what you're doing with your family. And then saying, I want to help. Now, not exactly in those words, but you know how moms are. That was amazing. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, parents, if we're not engaged in family worship, if we're not engaged in being the primary disciple makers of the next generation, Let's repent first to the Lord and then to each other. And then the beauty, come together as a, church, as a church and do it. And do it. Youth ministry cannot be about 
hanging out and having cool, fun, huge groups. Let's get together. Let's love Jesus. Let's, let, let's, let's play crazy games and crazy music and salt it with Jesus. Because guess what? That's not real life. What our kids need after their parents leading them in discipleship is the church. Not crazy, crazy, nuts, cool. What they need is the word fed to them, delivered to them in ways that they can understand. Now, don't get me wrong. We still do crazy, cool, nuts stuff in the youth ministry. But that's not our purpose. We know our purpose. To raise them up to love the Lord most by teaching them who he is, by giving them the truth of his word. Thank you so much for inviting us here this morning. If you would, please pray with me. Father God, thank you. Lord, help us to raise up the next generation. Lord, first and foremost, Lord, help us to love you most. It is so easy to love the wrong things, to love ourselves, to love the blessings that you give us. Lord, help us love you most because when we love you most, we love everyone else best. God, where we need to repent, help us to repent. Where we need to just praise you, Lord, help us to praise you. God, where we need to come together as a church and to, to follow your commands, help us come together. Give us strength and power and perseverance. God, most of all, we say it again, help us to love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.